We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, if you didn't know, from the Barcelona Block team here in New York, and I'm joined across the ocean by Frances Tomas, as seen on ESPN, and of course, our site, barcelblock.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 36. That is, again, tbpod.link backslash 36. Frances, we had a game against Girona, so I know we're going to talk about that, but what else are we going to hit today? We're going to talk about a lot of things, but before we get into any of the details, I'm just too excited to actually keep this to myself. Um, as, as our listeners know, we've been doing this podcast for around two and a half months now, and we started in the summer talking about the many different signings that were or were not about to happen. I am ecstatic to say that our latest show was heard in 189 different countries. That is 189. I didn't even know there were that many countries in the world. So, um, yeah, I am delighted. So if you're listening from any of the biggest countries, which are the United States of America, Canada, UK, Nigeria and Ghana, really, really huge thanks to you for being there. If you're listening for other countries such as Luxembourg or Andorra or even we had people from you know, all sorts of, of places like North Korea and Korea as well, which is crazy. Um, yeah, thank you to you for being the only one or two people listening to the show in there. Um, so, yeah, obviously delighted. Words really escaped me. So thank you very much. Now, let's let's start the show. In episode 36, we will focus on Valverde's superb star in La Liga. Then we're going to look at Philippe Coutinho, which is, seems to be still an option in January, or so the Catalan media are saying. And then we're going to throw up some uh, fifth pro nominations, the Cam No 60th birthday. And we're going to finish with our best, or what is my best, most favorite part of the show, which is the quick fire listener questions. The TVP starts right here. It starts right here. And I have to start with a correction, Francis. You said two months. And I know it seems like time's flying because we're having fun, but I think we've been at this almost four months or so. It's been a little while as we did it all summer long, and we've enjoyed every bit of it just the way Barcelona enjoyed their match against Girona. Three nothing winners, and though it wasn't a pretty affair, Barcelona still had 61% of the possession. 
They were offsides 14 times, and we're going to talk about that a plenty. And they were outshot again as they were against Ibar, but most importantly, they had more shots on target, which is the number, obviously, that really matters at the end of the day. And the goals, two offsides goals that we'll get to, and then the final goal was scored by Luis Suarez and a beautiful assist by Sergio Roberto on the play. Some things to note before we start talking about the game itself. The build-up to the game was just as important as the actual game, as Girona and FC Barcelona had not faced each other in an official match since 1949. And now with the win, Barcelona have won all six of their six La Liga matches to start the campaign. And most importantly, with every player other than Lionel Messi and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen being the two exceptions, Every other player in the starting 11 has been heavily rotated to start the year, meaning Ernesto Valverde has continued to check all the boxes. And the big thing about this new Catalan Derby that had never happened before is FC Barcelona had played basically every other major team in Catalonia before this point. The match then fell on, and I know plenty of people wanted to hear about this last week with the Catalan referendum still coming up in a week's time. The match fell as there had been plenty of tension over the Catalonian desire to have the referendum, and there was a huge flag and this big banner at the beginning saying, welcome to the Catalan Republic. So this was a match that, while it didn't have political ramifications in the, in the ways that we always seem to personify with Barcelona and Real Madrid, this one had one where there was supporting chants from both sides about independence, and we will vote, and it continued before and after the 90 minutes. So that wound up just being the subplot to this game. But Frances, I think as we talked about last week about the Catalan referendum, our job here is to talk about the club, FC Barcelona. So let's talk about the match, and we'll start with your five-star player of the game. Yeah, let's do that. Um, With one star, we've got Luis Suarez. Now, Luis Suarez has been at the end of severe criticism throughout the whole season, to be honest, Um, being one of our best players in our previous season and definitely two years ago. Um, it seemed crazy like he started the season in such a sort of lowly way. Um, he was rested against Eibar on Tuesday and, you know, the game started and I thought that we were going to have a repeat of uh, his clumsy self or worse self. Um, he was constantly offside. Um, I basically lost count and patience as to how many times he was offside. Um, he seemed to do the same. He was very, very frustrated at times. Um, shouting out and nobody really just screaming to, to the skies um, in, in this spice and uh, hopefully um, I was hope, hoping that he got better and he did you know he added his 87th goal in his 100th match for Barca he was Barca's third goal and I was delighted for him you know I think the one star is probably a little bit generous but I wanted to give him some praise because of the player that he has been for us and the fact that, yes, from the moment he scored the goal, he seemed to be sort of slowly but surely coming back to his best. So um, the one star goes for Uruguayan Pistolero, Luis Suarez. Two stars is for, I would say, someone who's probably going to be in a star rating for the whole season. But this case, he wasn't at his best, but still he was good enough to make the star chart. So with two stars, we've got Lionel Andres Messi. Sure, he was a lesser version of himself, but, you know, he's still even... When that's the case, and he's you know followed around by Mafeo, you know, which I thought they were going to end up showering together, or you know, following him home, or going to to sleep with, you know, you you sort of get what I'm trying to say. 
he was being followed around for the whole match and despite that he still had chances he still managed to run away from his marker which obviously was an unusual thing for him because he's normally surrounded by three four players but someone sort of following him to that degree is really unusual um, he, he still created many advantageous situations and they could have resulted in some goals they just didn't happen like that this time dan what's your take on the mafeo marking well, what do you think well first i'll profile who mafeo is and they had a little funny thing after the match when they had interviewed mafeo and he said that messi and him had because he was with them all match had a little bit of a back and forth where messi asked him how he enjoyed man city and how old he was and they had they exchanged pleasantries which is i guess nice to see with mafeo picking up an early yellow card in that one and I think the yellow card wound up being so important to the rest of the match, where Maffeo, he still had to be persistent and tracking him one-on-one the entire match as he did until he was subbed out um, for another Man City loanee. I'll talk about that in a second. But for Maffeo, 20-year-old right back who normally plays on the right side, works that right channel, and that's how Girona likes to play. They like to have a ton of bodies in the midfield, but they like to take their offense out to the wings and then cross it over. So that's why Girona, it just, they knew that if they were going to win, they're just going to have to get some kind of goal on the counterattack and make it a dogfight. And that's what it was in that Maffeo being on Messi the whole time. It's not that Messi had a poor game or not. It was that because of where he is centrally and Girona's game plan, that meant all the pressure for Barcelona was going to be out on the wings and those long diagonal balls. And we saw Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto both doing really well with that. And even uh, Alex Vidal had a part to play, particularly on the second goal with that back heel, where Barcelona then, they were able with their superior talent and skill to control the channels. And that neutralized basically any offense that Girona have had other than, as I said, Maffei was not existent as he normally is offensively, where he's normally an important part of their puzzle at right back. But it basically all fell on the shoulders of Douglas uh, Luiz, who I thought had a good game, another one of those Mancy Lonies. And for Maffeo, he was raised in the Espanol system, and so he had some familiarity with Barcelona. Of course, he's been watching Messi locally since he was a child, since he moved to Man City in 2013 as an as, as older teenager at the time. Again, now still only 20. But the thing that I kept thinking as I'm watching Maffeo is that, oh, this would be an exciting player potentially to look at as a transfer you know, a future transfer window guy for the right-back position for Barcelona, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then, of course, I was reminded throughout the entire game that Girona are predominantly owned by Citigroup, of course, the affiliated with Manchester City. And so Douglas Luiz, who had a good game, Alex Garcia and Pablo Mafeo, uh, all guys either late teens or 20-year-olds, in the starting lineup. And then you had the subs in Moreno and Coyote, who came in off the bench as substitutes, all are on loan and all are clearly seeing major minutes for Girona. So as all that's happening, I'm just kind of thinking while we, you and I had, we were completely off when we had talked a few months ago about how it's exciting for Girona to get promoted, but really it's just a Man City feeder club has been promoted. And if anything, in the long run, could Girona being in La Liga actually even hurt Barcelona? Well, hopefully not. Um, I don't think that it would. Um, Obviously, Manchester City got there before us and um, they now have a very great solution with great exposure for the Lonis to to go back and excel. Um, coming back to the Maffeo situation, I, I found it funny that, as you referred to, they were talking during the game, and um, I worked out that 
after looking at the Spanish and Catalan media, he said, "Do I, Messi said, do I have you here for the whole day? And then Maffeo replied, yes, yes, you do. You're the best in the world. So that's what it is. Um, I thought it was funny. Uh, unusual way to um, try to get rid of Messi's influence, but obviously it didn't work out very well, although he did have a lesser game than usual. Now let's move forward to the three stars. With the three stars, um, I've done something unusual here. I wouldn't normally give the stars to players that didn't start the game, but because of the way that he impacted, the three stars go to Sergio Busquets. I thought that he applied what the team needed when the team needed it the most. So he was calm, he was in control, he added some order to the midfield. He was subbed on, and from the moment that he started, you realize why the team missed him so much. He was a midfield reference, and in a way, he ended up doing the job that um, two players have been doing until that point, you know, because there was um, a double pivot with Paulinho at the start of the game. Um, so, yeah, I thought that obviously Busquets didn't win the game because when he came in, Barca were already 2 0 up. Um, but he did succeed in proving the fact that his importance in the team is paramount. He is the backbone of the team. And you can argue that in a way he's the most important player beyond Messi because he's heavily involved in attacking transitions in terms of building, moving forward, controlling the game, but also in defensive transitions in order to be in the first, I would say, octopus, covering up the space and uh, having so many different arms and legs and all that going everywhere. So um, Busquets, three stars because of the impact on this game, but obviously because what he means for Barca. Moving forward to the four stars, I'm delighted to be saying this, um, the four stars go to Alesh Vidal. He, in a way, doesn't seem to be considered by Valverde as a right-back anymore. And he's only considered as a right-winger who will play, in a way, because Dembele has been absent. Um, I I definitely expected Gerardo Lufeu to be starting the game, but Valverde had other ideas and granted Alesh Vidal a start that, you know, he really took advantage of in order to prove his worth. Um, he was nervous at first obviously he hasn't played for a little while so there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders to perform uh, but he continued to develop uh, throughout the game he got better and better as the game progressed he created Barca's second goal with a tricky back heel that let's face it no one ever expected and in a way if you ask him to try it again it may not ever work out but you know there you go it was very tricky spectacular back heel and I thought that he was always offering an outlet he was very vertical and he had plenty of solutions to add to what the team needed. So delighted to say that the four stars go to Vidal. And who do you think I'm going to say for the five, Dan? Well, what would be your bet for the five stars? Well, Francis, I think I might disagree with you with some of the stars throughout the game. Because I know your five star isn't Javier Mascherano. And to me... No, it, it isn't. I know it's not Mascherano. And so that's what I'm saying is that I think... So I would actually have to disagree with you somewhere along the line of your stars. Because for me, watching Mascherano in that kind of game where it wasn't just about, you know, that beautiful tiki-taka ball where Barcelona had to be persistent and they had to cut out counterattacks in the way that they did. I thought Mascherano was very, very good for a player who hasn't seen a lot of minutes this year. I mean, he's helped to be that guy with rotation where obviously in the last game it was PK and Mascherano and Mascherano was, he was all right, but I thought he was much, much better. And I thought he should have been probably deserving of the five-star if you were to bump everybody up. But 
another guy we you didn't mention was Sergio Roberto, who was so paramount to the way that Barcelona was playing with those diagonal balls that I had mentioned. And to a point that we were making about going forward, where if Messi's not being a goal-scoring threat because he's just being marked in the way that he was, that puts all the pressure on Alex Vidal to help be a goal-scoring threat, which he isn't. So I think Roberto being a right-back and being that wing-back, if you more, if you will, actually, being farther up the field for most of the time and then playing those balls over the top, that just shows you how much Valverde, whether it's in center mid or right-back, he wants to get Roberto on the field. So how good Roberto was, it has to be Roberto, right? It, it does, and it is. Um, so well done. With five stars, we got Sergi Roberto, the La Masia graduate that we're really proud of and uh, keeps growing on a season-by-season, game-by-game basis. Um, I thought that he started the game really well-focused. He obviously, because he hadn't played for a long while in that position, I thought that he was more sort of eager to get involved defensively and making sure that he didn't make any mistakes at the back. Um, let's not forget that he was replacing Nelson Semedo, who has been, in a way, the best player of the season so far, um, apart from a little immense number 10. Uh, but yeah, he was confident in the first half uh, in terms of being defensive-minded. And because of that confidence growing throughout the game, he became more and more influential as the game developed. He started joining into attack much more freely in the second half. He was really well involved in transitions and that they became much more often and that really supported the team and particularly when moving forward. He obviously provided Luis Suarez with a fantastic long range assist, which um, I was, you know, screaming at home like, yeah, that's the way you do it, Sergi. Yeah, whatever, like that. I get very excited. Um, so yeah, he was... He really proved his point. He proved the fact that he can be a more than valid player for Barca in midfield, but he's more than ready and definitely prepared to play a right back whenever he's needed. Now, he throws a couple of questions like, is Sergio Roberto now going to be considered as a right back by Valverde? Don't have the answer, but I think it's worth asking. And also, could he be an option for the wings in terms of um, Alej Vidal or Delofeo or even Denis Suarez not performing at the level that we need. Um, I don't know what the answers are, but um, El Chingurri Valverde will surely answer those questions in coming days. But I'm really, really proud to say that La Masia graduate Sergio Roberto was a man of the match, five-star getter this time round. I think Valverde has already showed his hand with how he sees Roberto, where in his roles, he's either been a starter at right back or he's been a substitute at midfield. And I think that's where Valverde is going to be playing him moving forward until things change, as you had mentioned, or unless he has to play players in other positions or the rotation changes. But Roberto, again, you don't want to have to, as, as is a long-tenured idea, is you don't really want to have to sub out your back line. That's usually how it works, where the midfield and the forwards are running so much, you don't want to have to get rid of your back line and waste substitutes on them in case you need them later on. So that's why it seems like he's starting at right back. And he could also move into the midfield as the game goes on in case you wanted to put on a Nelson Semedo in that kind of instance. So I think that's where Roberto fits. And another thing I wanted to say with Roberto, this whole concept of messy dependence, which is that big fear, right? It's one that we had a few years ago and it's now returned without Neymar to help break down defenses in those one-on-one situations. And Nibeli, of course, on the men recovering from that injury, is that those long balls over the top, and because Sergio Busquets and Andres Iniesta have never been aerial threats, of course, Xavi Hernandez wasn't either, and even Rakitic even isn't really an aerial threat, 
Paulinho has shown now, basically in every game he's played, there has been one header or two headers on set pieces or crosses where Paulinho was very, very close, or even in the last game where he scored that header. Paulinho is showing so far that he's a little bit of an aerial threat and enough just where he's pushing forward. And at times, with Messi dropping deeper, Paulinho was even playing farther forward than Messi at times in that game. And that's just showing you that if teams are going to sit in like that and just swarm around Messi, that's going to leave a guy like Paulinho open in the box. And you really haven't seen a midfield aerial threat as he's showing so far. And again, it's a little early to say that he's this he's this Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the air, but Paulinho so far, I think, has been a pleasant surprise in that way. And Sergio Roberto, again, another reason why I agree with you is that his passing and his balls in over the top in that game were just picture perfect and what Girona was not prepared for. Their game plan was against Messi and even if Luis Suarez wasn't helping his case too much, Sergio Roberto was what opened it all up. But that brings up another big question. The last thing we'll talk about with Girona, then we got to move on, is that with that one goal, is Luis Suarez getting back in form? The answer is, well, this is just one step in the right direction. But if Paco Acathera isn't up to snuff, didn't, doesn't even make the bench against Sporting CP for that game coming up, it seems like another forward threat becomes... A goal-scoring threat, if you will, becomes priority in January, right? Because if Suarez isn't really in form and Messi's the only guy knocking in goals because the rest of your wingers, whether it's Vidal or Delefeu, they're not natural goal scorers. They aren't known to just knock in a bunch of goals. So I think Barcelona might have to just adjust and figure out how to get more numbers. And they're getting a little scoring from the midfield, but still, Iniesta is not a natural goal scorer. Busquets is not a natural goal scorer. That's not who they are. So... Is it going to come to a point when Barcelona are saying, we need more goals, and how do we get those goals? Because right now, Alcantara clearly isn't the solution. No, he definitely is not. I think um, it's been confirmed in the last couple of hours that um, Alcácer has been left out of the squad to face Sporting in the Champions League. So he is not even in the question to play any part in the team, which um, in a way I'm quite surprised because when he has played, he's not been spectacular, but I don't think he's been that bad to not even make the team against, say, Girona or Getafe and definitely Sporting in the Champions League. Um, I'm a bit puzzled, but, um, you know, he started the first game in La Liga, then he played as a sub in the second and then he hasn't played since. Um, He's obviously a fringe player right now and in a way he's the last resort that, you know, if everyone else... I don't know if anyone else gets run over by a bus, he may be able to get in the team um, if no one from Barca B or C or the Juvenila is available. I think it's it's puzzling to see, to see that a player that was signed for 35 million euros just not this summer but the previous one um, is not considered at all. Um, I think, as you mentioned, January exit seems to be the only possible solution. Um, as to your point as to um, how who's going to score the goals and how we're going to cater for that I think that in a couple of months we're going to be around December aren't we so then Dembele should be coming back shortly after um, I would expect him to be back within three months at the most because obviously as we spoke about in a previous podcast he said two months Barca saying three and a half so I'm assuming it will be three and then that that could be our option right there but um in the meantime we've got De Lufeo, we've got Denis Suarez we've got a lot of players that Seem to seem to be stepping up, and that was in a way the reason why we didn't win La Liga last year because our bench was not 
was not really adding that much. You had your first starting eleven, and the bench was in a way non-existent. I think the second choice players are certainly stepping up their, their eagerness, their involvement. If that is because, you know, Valverde's doing, it's too early to tell, but they certainly seem to be stepping it up a gear. Um, we got 18 out of 18 points so far. It was a perfect start during a transition period in which players that haven't counted so much in previous seasons um, are really, you know, stepping their performances up and bringing their best game in order to benefit the team. So the, the game against Girona was a perfect example. It was a physical game. Our rivals put a lot of emphasis on defending Messi, but then the rest of the team had an answer for it. Then the game was not won by Messi by himself. It was more about the connection, the collaboration, the fact that the rest of the players were there for each other. And that cannot be anything but a great, great sign moving forward. And so if they trust in the squad, and Paco Alcacer is a guy that is seen as no longer needed at the club, and he's sent one way, a guy who would be coming the opposite way, and here he is returning back into our news, Philippe Coutinho, as you promised we talk about. Apparently he could come to the club in January or next summer, the number still being between 150 and 200 million euros for the Brazilian playmaker for Liverpool. Now, since that time, as a gesture of goodwill to kind of get back in the good grace of the club, he played against Sevilla in the group stage game of the Champions League, just to, again, appease some of the senior executives of Fenway, of course, with Liverpool, Boston, or U.S.-based ownership group. And they had been in war, but now it seems like some of that bad blood is subsiding. But still, Coutinho appears to be digging his heels in the same way that Barcelona and Liverpool are, that... He wants to come to Barcelona, and maybe Liverpool will open up renegotiations again. I'll let you respond to this, Francesca, and then I have a... Normally, I don't really get on my high horse every now and again with a nasty little thing, but I want to let you respond first, and then I, I've got a little beef with this kind of story. I think we're probably going to agree, and I really don't know what you're going to say. Um, I just want to add that, you know, my heart is finally content. You know, I've got butterflies in my stomach. Um, I've got, you know, a waterfall of uh, fluffy feelings going through my body because I finally get the chance to talk about Coutinho again. And, you know, I haven't done that for three weeks. So, yeah, my, my heart is finally content. Um, listen, I'm not going to change what I said in the summer. I still think Coutinho is a great player. I think that um, any team that has Coutinho is a stronger team as a result. Brazilian international, plenty of potential um, you know, has demonstrated his quality at club and international level, and he would be a great addition to our club, no question about it. Having said that, if we were saying all summer that signing him for anything over 100 million euros would be nonsense, then changing our minds now would make no sense and would also be nonsense. So in my eyes, 100 million euros for Coutinho, yes, good business. Any more than that, not going to happen or should not happen in my eyes. So um, what's your high horse, Dan? What, what, what is that about? Well, Frances, yeah, I, I love your sarcasm there. And for me, it's just his frustration at this point that I feel like reading these stories, I need somebody to blame. I need someone to be upset with for this because, as you mentioned, 150 to 200 is just outrageous for a player that before this summer was seen as one of the better players in the world, but not to the level of a Neymar or a Messi or Ronaldo or even a Paul Pogba, not to that very high level, but just in that, we'll say, like the B group of, of top players that include, again, those players right underneath. 
And, I mean, you could make arguments that is Philippe Coutinho even better than David Silva from Man City? And, again, that caliber of player, that B-level, who's still one of the best in the world at his position, but $200 million in a transfer window should be the kind of thing that is reserved basically just for Ronaldo or Messi at this point. And, and of course, as we saw with Neymar. So the top, top, top are $200 million, and then you work your way down from there. No way is a guy like that $200 million. Now, the thing that really boils my blood, and so you might get frustrated with me, Frances, but a little pet transparency. I had seen over the past few days stuff on um, English-speaking sites that Barcelona is being linked with a Schalke midfielder named Leon Goretzka, who's 22 years old, and apparently Barcelona are trying... He is, he is out of contract in the summer. So obviously, is what we had talked about with Messi, where players who are out of contract in the summer can start and basically agree to, cl- to club deals in January, and then obviously they make the move in the summer. And that's what Bayern Munich does all the time with all these young Germans. So of course, it looks like with him not re-signing with Schalke, that Goretzka is most likely just going to leave to Bayern Munich, as many have before, from different clubs around Germany, and go to Bayern Munich on a free transfer. Now apparently Barcelona, if they're willing to pay... Now, here's the, here's the big thing. Here's why I'm on my high horse. The numbers that they're reporting that Barcelona could maybe get Goretzka between 15 and 40 million, 15 being the lowest and, and somewhere in between in that middle, right? And so they could get him for that kind of number. A 22-year-old midfielder who was probably the best player at the Confederations Cup when Germany won it over the summer, and you don't know how good he's going to be. He's promising. He's 6'2", and he could, you could get him for what? One-eighth of the price of Coutinho, and yet that's not what we're—I mean, not not we, but that's not what major media is talking about because apparently that's not who Barcelona want. That's not the kind of deals that Barcelona want to make. They want to make the splashy Brazilian move for the 200 million euro transfer of Coutinho instead of making a smarter, astute move of like maybe a 25 million dollar move for a 22-year-old confederations cup winner and a player who's doing really really well and on the rise and to me that just sums it all up that's some of the frustration of the transfer window where it was all boomer bust where you uh, unless you go for the 200 million dollar players then you're you're not doing your job and the board isn't doing well so i guess my question Frances, after all this frustration is who am i to, to blame here am i to, to blame the catalan media for just continuing to want to throw the big numbers out and try to get those sensationalist covers or are we blaming the board and the club because they only want to go after a guy like Coutinho and they're being maybe too persistent on a thing like this where they're not keeping their options open i'm not sure who i should be frustrated with all of this wow dan that's the first time you got on a proper rant in the podcast congratulations you really really are feeling it thank you thank you that's 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 i think that's at the core after 4 months of doing this, maybe that's why you brought me here, right? After four months, you finally wanted me to feel it? No, I, I think I brought you here because you're the analytical, calm guy, but, you know, things are changing, so um, I'm, I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, it's all to do with who's going to start, you know? If you bring um, any of the players, the, obviously the player you mentioned from, from the German league or you mentioned any other players, are they potential starters? Yes, in time, long term. Um, in terms of Coutinho, he would be an automatic first choice. And um, given all the problems that you know the board has had, and, and the fact that the vote of no confidence is still going, it, it seems to have sizzled a little bit, a little bit of an aside. It seems to have sizzled a little bit, simply because the team is 18 out of 18 points in La Liga, and you know going really well, and the, the results haven't helped their cause. But you know the board, I'm still not convinced they they are right for Barca, and I think that. 
um, anyone coming in would probably be able to do as bad a job and hopefully a better job than the current board. Um, so yeah, they just think that it's it's like um, little kids collecting cromos. They are football cards. Cromos is the the, the Spanish Catalan um, word for it. But yeah, just, you know, who's going to be the biggest star in my team? So I'm going to pay as much money as I can to, to get them here. Um, I think it's just part of the lack of preparation, lack of sort of long-term planning that uh, we've been talking about throughout the summer. And because of results being positive, we haven't done for so long. But no, certainly not the right way to go if you want to build in the future. All right, so Frances, let's put that behind us. I'm going to calm down. I'm calmer. And here's the thing that's calming and, and nice and comfortable for me to talk about. The Camp No right now celebrating the year 60 of its history, a big anniversary, an exciting thing. It was opened on September 24th, 1957, and it has since then celebrated 18 Liga titles, 16 Copa del Reyes, five Champions League wins, and European Cup wins. And we've seen... Cruyff, Maradona, Ronaldinho, Messi, names that you only need one name, and people around the world know who those players are. And since the start, the Camp No, it was the fans club, and that goes back to its history where it could have, they wanted to basically call it the transition would be the, you know, stadium of Barcelona, the Barcelona Stadium, but the fans had been calling or nicknaming it for a few years into the 60s in its first decade of existing they had been just nicknaming it basically the camp no was in the new ground translation in, in, from spanish and basically that's what happened where the, they had, there was a vote and the, the fans wanted the camp no to be the official name and that's how it came into existence and there's also part of the folklore that the hungarian player and we're going to talk about barcelona's history later on and Again, if if more listeners want us to be talking about some of the great players from Barcelona's past, let us know. Either tweet it at us, put it on barcelonablog.com or the Barcelona podcast. Let us know on Facebook, wherever you go, and are getting this podcast. Give us feedback if you want to hear us talk a little more about the history. But one of the players that should always be mentioned is Laszlo Kubala, who is coming in at the same time. And it's disputed whether or not part of Camp No was pushed because they knew that they were going to get a lot of fans because of Kabbalah, who was one of the great players in the world during those fantastic Hungarian teams of the, of the mid-50s. Or was it merely that they knew with Kabbalah they would fill up the stadium? And it was it was more of a chicken and the egg kind of thing, but apparently the new ground was set up before he signed in 1950. But nevertheless, Kabbalah helped at least to fill those stadium seats and make Barcelona you know, part of the club that we know now today with just how amazing a player he was and that tradition, as we know, continued for the decades after. Yeah, and, and what a great story that is. Um, I obviously have got huge respect for all the history of the Camp Nou and the fact that, you know, it's been an emblem to, to my hometown for so many years and uh, it's attracting attention from, you know, millions of visitors that come to Barcelona um, on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. And um, I, I want to sort of take it a little bit more personal. Um, for, for me, the Camp Nou will always be linked to my childhood. Um, I was very fortunate that my grandpa was taking me to the Camp Nou from, I, I think I must have been five or six years old. And um, my memories are going up to the very top. So Tercera Graderia, which is the third stand, and being able to see the players really really small because the stadium is enormous you know when I um, when I was going it actually it could actually hold 120,000 people 
then the FIFA regulations change and, and the capacity has reduced slightly when you talk about the you know, relative size of the stadium. But um, I remember going, you know, going up the stairs for what seemed like weeks um, in order to come out to the stadium and then watching them down. And they all, I always referred it as the Game Boy. Um, our older listeners will remember the Nintendo little portable console called the Game Boy. And yeah, you couldn't see the game any bigger than that. But um, for me, it was magic. You know, the sense of awe, the, the aura of this is special, something is happening. So many great players over the years, um, you know, all of us fans coming together as one. It really is a very special place to me that has a, you know, privileged place in my heart. Players, obviously, we talk about Messi all the time because he's the greatest player of all times. But I remember Stoichkov in the early 90s and throughout the 90s, really, and the early 2000s. He was the angriest player that there ever was. And I loved him for it. Um, he stepped on a referee once, which we shouldn't do, but it was, um, it's, did I say it stuck to my memory? Uh, but the way that he was always sort of playing out wide, zooming, crossing into the middle, uh, always making things happen. His partnership with Romario was out of this world. Then, although he ended up going to Real Madrid, I thought Ronaldo, e.g. Brazilian Ronaldo, the original best one, Ronaldo, um, he was incredible. Um, by that time, actually, my brother was playing for Barca, so I managed to go down to Lateral, which is very close to the side of the stadium, and I could actually see pretty much every game from a really close distance, and, and he was incredible. I think he scored 34 goals in the season, and uh, I was lucky enough to be there for every Camp Nou game that season, and uh, it was it was out of this world, and, and to this day, I haven't seen anything like it from, from a striker, because he basically had it all. Then he messed it all up and went to Madrid, but we won't talk about that. But, you know, Ronaldinho's first goal, I remember it was like a nearly midnight kickoff um, because of uh, some nonsense that the Spanish Federation had done. It was a game against Sevilla. And uh, that game, I went with one of my previous girlfriends, um, who is definitely not going to be listening to this podcast because, you know, I've moved on because of stuff. Uh, but anyway, he was fantastic. Um, he scored pretty much from nearly halfway through the opponent's half. Uh, the stadium erupted. And, you know, the, the people you get to watch a game at midnight is not the people you get it for a 12 o'clock noon. Uh, and it was crazy. I remember going to the game, being hyper after seeing these Brazilian, you know, terrorizing defensives and, and, and being excellent. And then we went clubbing for the whole night. So it really, it's all about little memories that... Um, are never going to come back and they, they're rightly so memories that I will cherish forever. So the Camp Nou 60th, uh, Montas Felicitats and Cumpleaños Feliz. Well, let's uh, try to share a little more with the listeners. And we have actually a listener question as we'll transition in our quick fire listener segment that basically asks the question that you and I just talked about with uh, my impending trip over to Barcelona. Anis asked us, how can I book for the next Classico match? And I'll answer this the way you answered it for me, Frances, is the best way to get Barcelona tickets is with the app on your phone, basically, is, is through the official FC Barcelona website and on the FC Barcelona app. That's the best way to get tickets. And for the Classico, the, the unfortunate thing is we'll just have to say good luck because that's going to be a tough one. You're just going to have to get it early and you're going to have to be willing to pay top dollar for those tickets. But as we said, I think the easy answer is to be, to be using the app. So that's a quick answer to that. 
And then the uh, question for you, Frances, that we'll ask from the, the Peñas, and we've talked about Peñas before, we've gone and explained what those are, but from the Peña of Barcelona in L.A. or Los Angeles, they want to know, how do you want to see Valverde use B-team players? So that's Carlos Alenia, Sergi Palencia, so the ones who really should be having a first-team role or be ready for the first team by next season. And I think the easy answer is Copa del Rey, but Frances, you could probably give a more detailed answer. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. But before I go into that, I, I am just delighted that um, Peña Blaurana Los Angeles has been the very first Peña to get in touch uh, and send in um, a question for us. And uh, I am delighted to have such dedicated fans of the team throughout the world, but obviously in Los Angeles, which is one of my favorite American cities, I have to say. I've been a LA Lakers fan since birth, really, because my dad supported, you know, Magic Johnson, uh, James Worthy, etc. all those years ago. So really, really special to have um, our friends from LA tuning in and um, posting this question for us. Uh, coming back to it, yes, I agree with you. It's, it's Copa del Rey. I think given the fact that our bench players have stepped up in La Liga, um, in getting anyone like Aleña or Palencia or any of the players that you mentioned in the previous podcast, Dan, um, I think would be a good idea to do in La Copa. Um, I don't think they're ready for La Liga just yet. They are doing very well in the second division and I think they need to grow a little bit more in that category before being able to step it up. But um, yeah, Copa del Rey, I think, I think is the answer. So here's another quick one for you, Frances. Zura asks, how exactly is Valverde's vision being manifested in the last few games and the, with emphasis on formation, fluidity, ball recycling and Messi's role? I think in terms of um, the team's maturity, in a way, the way that he relates to his players, the way that he gets everyone involved, it's, uh, it's been clear in terms of the bench. You know, the second choice players have stepped up and they are taking the team forward. So I think that is the main reason and the main sort of element of impact that Valverde has had. In terms of formation, he's experimented with different ones. Um, it looks to be the 4-3-3 coming back most of the time as being the de facto formation. But um, say in Girona, we started with two pivotes in the middle, two defensive pivots. And there's different variations here and there going on in terms of uh, Suarez positioning, Luis Suarez, that is, up front. But uh, I like the fact that he's experimenting and trying to make his team his own. And I think the fact that Gules have matured over the years and we sort of accept it now that the 4-3-3 um, cannot be a dictatorship anymore. There has to be some leeway in there. Um, he's contributing to it. But I think the main element is the fact that he's talking to his players, he's looking for consensus, and he's getting as many key players involved as possible, and that's benefiting the team as a whole. I think that answers that one, Frances. Next listener question comes from Daniel. Is the dream of being unbeaten over? Are we in for a rude awakening with the next few matches? And I'll take a first stab at this one, where until they lose a match... I, the dream isn't over, I think, of being unbeaten. They can win or draw all season long. Of course, you know the big matches coming against some of the La Liga powerhouses in Real Madrid, Atletico, you know, whether it's Valencia, Bilbao, again, some of those tougher teams year in and year out. That's what's really going to test Barcelona in the league. But having beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat, as we mentioned, that can help them capture the La Liga title. And that's the most important thing, more than going unbeaten. And to that point, I think even winning the matches they have already – Winning is never a guarantee. Even if you're a Barcelona, I think for Kool-Aid's, we can never get too comfortable with just expecting wins. I think every win, even the one against Girona, Ibar, 
are it's a hard fought win against a professional team that has millions of dollars being invested in it for players and progress and fans that want to see their team win as well. And so every win I think needs to be seen as an exciting thing to happen. Of course, Barcelona, with the money they have and the revenue and the players and the names and the fanfare, they should be beating those smaller clubs. But just to tell you how hard it is to have what is called the, an invincible or the invincible season, you think back to the Arsenal team of 03-04 in the Premier League that seemed to, you know, always, that's the first thing that always comes to mind. But there's Preston North End back in the 1880s that did such a thing. In Scotland, you had Celtic in 1897-98, and then again in 2016-2017, and then Rangers in, in Scotland in 1898 and 1899. They had perfect seasons. And then in 2011-2012, Juventus had a Serie A season where they went to the league title undefeated. And Milan in 91-92 went undefeated. And they're actually the team that got labeled the Invincibles for the first time. But just to tell you, I mean, look at that. I went back to the late 1800s and we only talked about a few teams. That's how hard it is to go undefeated in the league and to stay that consistent. So I think, is it a dream? Of course, it'd be a huge dream. It'd be a gigantic accomplishment. One of the greatest things the club could ever do. But I think just let's temper our expectations and it's possible, but not likely. But let's enjoy every win and particularly the Liga title if that is captured. Yeah, I agree with you. I've got very little to add. I just say that personally, I don't think being unbeaten matters at all. I think it's all about who gets the most points at the end of the season. Last year, we messed up against Alaves, Real Sociedad and a couple of other teams, Deportivo. And that's why we didn't win the league. We went, we did really well against, say, Atletico and Madrid and Sevilla. But um, it was those, in theory, minor teams that messed it up for us. And uh, I am delighted that we won in Girona, in Getafe, and that we've got a perfect record now. But, you know, we will lose some time. And when we lose, then we just have to pick ourselves back up and continue to go to go ahead. Um, a lot of people in Catalonia seem to be looking at what Real Madrid is doing. I'm not bothered at all obviously if they lose every game I'll be much happier and you know that's that's what makes you a culé from birth uh, but no let's just focus on ourselves win as many points as we want if we are unbeaten great but I think the objective needs to be to get more points than anyone else in the league not necessarily having a perfect record at all so we've got two more and we're going to put another quick in front of here we've got two more quick quick fire listener questions so I, I want an answer with just one word or one number, Frances. Charlie asks, Valverde puts out his yeah. best 11 in Champions League. Who starts instead of Dembele? Delufeo. Works for me. Perfect. Then Christo asks, how many goals will Luis Suarez score this season? In his three years at Barca so far, he's had 16, 40, and 29. My guess is 25. Your guess is? <laughs> he was 25 as well. <laughs> 25. 25. All right. So... That'll wrap it up. That's the show. So it sounded like whether it was our five stars picking Roberto or picking 25 goals for Luis Suarez at the end of the show, it sounds like Francesca and I were looking at each other's papers, but we are we are across the ocean, hours away from one another, and I can promise you that we have we do not before these shows tell the other one those kind of things and what we picked. But we'd love if you kept asking us those questions. As you heard with this show, we're doing these quickfire listener questions, so we're going to try to hit as many as we can. And particularly if they're good ones, we're definitely going to make sure we put them in the show. So that'll wrap it up. We'd love if you shared the show. Again, we got a lot of people and a lot of feedback after our last show, and we appreciate if you continue to push it, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find it. 
We'd love if you also gave us some iTunes reviews and all of those different things. So that wraps it up. Anything else, Frances? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to Avon Barksdale from Canada, who in the Apple Store said, fantastic podcast for Barcelona fans, gave us five stars, and he said, I highly recommend this podcast to all cooles. Very informative and very knowledgeable. Check it out. Um, not a really long review, but says exactly what Avon was thinking, and we're very grateful for your feedback. That is tvpod.link forward slash iTunes review, tvpod.link forward slash iTunes review to leave feedback. So thank you, Avon, for your support. And thank you to our patrons as well for always being there and making this show possible. So thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.